Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in. Part two tonight of the Major Report. Tonight, a little bit more focused on the DFS and the fantasy side versus part one. Back again for another night. Andy Lack, how you doing, sir? I know you've had a busy day. Great to have you back here. I'm great. I'm I'm just settling in. I can't I came straight from a podcast. I'm super excited. We already got our guys uh backstage that I, I can't wait to talk to. I I like DraftKings more than I like betting. I, I just like I don't know how that happened for me, but it it kind of turned for me over the past couple of months. So I am super eager. Uh, to talk to some really smart uh, DFS guys tonight. Super sharp minds. It is definitely some different uh, storylines to talk about. While you're in here, thank you for joining us. If you would like, um, we would greatly appreciate if you hop over to the Preferred Lines YouTube page. Just give it a thumbs up. If you prefer to watch it on Twitter, hop back here. But um, that all helps trying to get in on a little bit of YouTube algorithms as we go. Uh, share the show with a friend. Anything helps us out. Andy and I uh, did about an hour and 45 minutes last night in part A. You can check out the videos pinned to my Twitter page now at Tor Picks on both of our podcast feeds, which uh, we've done has been doing really well. Also, I think it translates this, the style that we're doing, Andy, I think translates really well in the audio format. How's it been doing over there on the InSky Golf Pod feed? Yeah, yeah. I, people people seem to really like it. I, I appreciate you you sending the audio file too. So a bunch of people sure. that you know, I have a bunch of listeners that I don't I don't think are on Twitter, so they didn't get to catch it live last night on Twitter or on YouTube. But yeah, man, I think it it works really well, and I hope it's something we can continue to do. It's not it's not easy, right? Like right. Uh, from the technical side of it. So I want to give you a lot of props for being such a good producer and, and, and as a host too, kind of navigating all these different people coming in and out at the same time, doing different topics. And some of what we did was pre-recorded and stuff like yeah. that. So I just, I commend you a lot. Um, and I'm, it's been a blast, man. It's It's been an absolute blast. So thanks for including me in it. I appreciate that. We've got two more player spotlights coming later in the show. I got a really cool interview with Steve Scott, who probably has the most famous U.S. amateur story of all time lets me in on what it's like to play Augusta as an amateur. So that's really cool. But um, we're going to kick it off right now with our first live segment um, brought in the DFS guys. I'm going to bring them into the stream right now. Um, toe tag and Tambo. Tambo, how you doing? Kenny Kim at Kendo VT. And of course, my good friend, Ryan Baroff, R. Baroff, 427. Three of the sharpest minds uh, in daily fantasy sports that I know when talking golf. How you doing, fellas? Thank you for joining us. Doing good, man. Thank you for having us. Yeah, man. Good, man. I don't know about me being the sharpest. The other two might be there, but I'm here. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Andy, thanks for, uh, yeah. I uh, appreciate you guys putting this together. I watched last night. It was super entertaining and uh, looking forward to what you guys have on tap tonight. Thanks, dude. Listen, uh, let's just get right into it. I'm going to ask the first question. So I know we got five of us here, so we'll kind of go around the board. So we'll start with Tambo, um, the way that they're at least layered on my screen. We'll start with Tambo, then go to Ryan, then go to Kenny, and then Andy will follow up with a question. But here's how I'll start. I could ask you who you like in the 10K range. I want to know the one player you don't like in the 10k range who are you totally fading who have you you have zero percent of uh tambo this week yeah victor hovland that one's easy for me i think especially with looking at these wind forecasts picking up i know the guy's overall game and skill set is there but he was already a guy that was off my radar i know he'll still be lower owned 
doesn't bother me. Like, I think that's where people make mistakes sometimes and looking at it like, oh, but he's only 2%. I just need to get seven. It's I think you're wasting 7% that you could be putting more to Rom or JT or the guys that you actually like in that range. And his around the green game, we know it's no secret, is not the best. And that just doesn't help his case, in my opinion, as well. So easy to get off Victor Hovland here. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I, I kind of started uh, that same direction. Uh, but in the interest of being different, I will say Colin Morikawa. And I think it's a pretty easy argument for him. I mean, he's obviously not the longest. And what does Colin do best, right? He went with his iron play. And the iron play just hasn't been there. I mean, really, the last couple of months since he won over on the European tour, uh, the irons just aren't there. So if he's not striping everything inside 10 feet, um, he's obviously not going to lead this field in putting. I think Morikawa is an easy fade this week. Kenny? I'm with Tambo. Uh, no Hovland for me, and then it worries me a little bit because I expect his ownership to be extremely low. Uh, it always makes it tempting when you have a 10K, 10K guy that's going to be single digit owned, maybe 5 6% owned. Hovland could be that guy. But I'm, I'm sticking with Tambo. Uh, no Hovland for me. The short game just not going to be good enough uh, in a situation where there's going to be so much wind, uh, missed greens, getting it up and down those tricky areas. Uh, you know, I know he's played here twice. I think he needs a few more times through the courts to get it done, especially with how poor his short game is. So you guys are all great about, you talk about, you all do a great job about talking about ownership a lot. So I kind of want to ask you, are there any guys in this top range? Do you think that we're going to get a lot of late movement in any direction with somebody um, at the top, maybe somebody that's coming in kind of lower in the projections now that you could see catching a little bit of steam maybe tonight on Wednesday. There's been some talk about which side of the draw has a better side, all that stuff. Is there anyone that you guys see, uh, Tambo, I guess you can start off again, that you see either like catching a lot of steam or losing some steam at the last minute? I definitely think catching some steam, and I think you nailed it there, Andy. I love your stuff, by the way. I appreciate that. And just the way you brought it up with the wave draw, we've got uh, potential. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but what I'm seeing and hearing people at least talking about is with there's wind in both of the afternoons, but it looks like Friday afternoon, unfortunate for Tiger, but it looks like that could have higher gusts. And where Rory goes off, we're getting softer conditions. He's getting overshadowed by the Tiger hype on the Grand Slam, all these things. I think the, uh, you know, just in my own mind, I think it translates that Rory could pick up some steam down the stretch being at 10K. And if people are moving off, the next part of it would be Cam Smith. I'm not sure if you guys heard this, but one of the biggest tidbits right now that I'll have it tomorrow in the thread is Cam Smith is in the group. I think he's in the group right ahead or maybe the one in front of that of Tiger Woods. The point there being, and I think he's directly in front of all those thousands of fans that are going to be after Tiger hits the approach. We'll skip the putt, but we want to get to the next hole. And there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in front of him. I wonder if that will get to the groups ahead of Tiger. So I think Rory could pick up some steam for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think one guy who I, I really liked up here to start the week, who I thought was going to be pretty low on was Dustin Johnson. Um, I haven't looked at, at the tee sheet and don't know much about the wind yet, but it feels like DJ is going to pick up some steam. Um, even though he's he's priced up a little higher than we've seen him in, in majors uh, kind of over the last year, um, it just feels like there's a lot of hype about him. Uh, he's obviously won here. The game seems to be coming around. We've seen a couple really good events in a row. Uh, and so if people are looking to pivot off of Justin Thomas, who will likely be the highest owned up here, I think uh, I think you could see, see DJ push, you know, 18%, 20%. 
Yeah, well, that doesn't make me feel that great because DJ is one of my favorite plays out there, and I wanted him to be low owned. I think the person that I might pick up C was more Kawa. I know you mm. what you said about him. I, I think the, the thing about Kawa, uh, the interview uh, that he put out on either on Golf Week, I, I really like the way, and I'm going to be using him also. So probably going to be chalk because I am Mr. Chalk Man. Uh, he wasn't on my list on Sunday for our Fantasy Golf Generates pod. Uh, but as the week goes on, I mean, the one thing I really liked about uh, in his interview was he said that the first two times he came out to Augusta, he tried to play the course in a different way, not his own game. He's like, I have to learn how to hit a high draw. I have to learn how to hit these type of shots for this course. And I think that messed him up uh, a little bit. I mean, he still finished 18th last year. Uh, he said this year he's coming in, he's going to play his game the way he knows how to play it, and I think that will help him. We've seen what he's done at majors. Uh, I think he can gather some steam. Um, I think DJ is a good choice too as well. Uh, I think any of these guys, it's hard, really hard, trying to figure out what the ownership is going to be uh, in this range, except maybe Scheffler is going to be extremely low-owned and Hovland's going to be extremely low-owned, and uh, you know, Scheffler's tempting as well when it comes to that. Yeah, we obviously get an influx this week of, of maybe more casual fantasy players, and we also get uh, an influx of new and, and bigger contests. I kind of want to break this part down into three parts and have you each maybe tackle a different part. Tambo, I want to start with you. The Millie Maker, right? 300,000 plus entries in it. I'm sure you're going to throw 150 lineups in it. As someone who's building and putting a ton of lineups into the Millionaire Maker, how does your strategy potentially differ there um, versus a, a, another contest or maybe another week? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just a common saying that I have now, I utilize the acronym from Daily Fantasy Sports, DFS, and just say, in, when it comes to those tournaments, don't fear shit. And what I mean by that is get off the chalk. Just stop worrying about, oh, if I don't get a sprinkle of this guy or a sprinkle of that guy, like, I'll miss out if it's him. It could be his week. I think it's his time. All this stuff. You just can't worry about that. You just have to not care. Know the outcomes. You're going to lose a lot more times than you're going to win. There's 315,000 people plus in that $15 millimaker, you're playing it to win. It's a hundred, it's a million to first. Usually I think it's a hundred thousand a second. It might've been a little bit better this time around. I barely look, I just do, like I said, build them up, throw them in with the chance to win. So when you get down to the guys like Corey Connors with all the ownership, all that, I think he's a good play. I'm just saying when it comes to that tournament, I've got no problem completely going against the grain. Uh, and then also just looking at what the rest of the field is going to do when you're in the larger field. So like the hundred dollar millimaker has less people in it, 28,000 or something. You can play that a little bit differently. Like the mega you, with you know a thousand people, you can definitely play that differently because in the large field, I'm also looking at what's the common roster construction. So for example, if I think nobody is going to do two studs up top, I might be going more Rom JTs together than most people are picking between one and then balancing out somewhere else. And I'll just take on the risk of more 6K guys and have unique construction, not worrying about, again, same, not fearing that 9K range that is good, but I will skip it in some lineups to make sure that I'm different in that tournament. Yeah, Ryan, how about you? I want to talk to you about like single entry contests. I know you had the the famous victory where you won the the Masters single entry, I believe the $200, uh, what was that, the November edition of the Masters. How does it change when, if you're a guy that builds a lot of lineups, how are you picking the one that you throw into these single entries? So, I mean, good question. I think, one, play the guys who you like the most, right? And I think you see Chalk be successful at Augusta more than other places. I think for a couple of reasons, you know, number one, you have the course history and the course form and, same guys 
they just tend to play well here and that's why they're popular. Uh, but also with the small field and about 20 guys, the old guys, the amateurs down at the bottom who really aren't viable, almost everyone's making the cut, right? Like there may be three or four or five guys who are viable DFS plays that make the cut. And so your average ownership is going to go up. Um, I would set specific rules about, I want a couple guys under 10% on my team, like that sort of thing, but ultimately play the best, uh, you to play the best plays and the mega chalk, just make sure you avoid that. Um, for an example this week, right? I would imagine Matt Fitzpatrick, Corey Connors, Paul Casey, that trio, very high owned across the board. I'm not going to put multiple of those guys on any sort of uh, Millie maker or any big, uh, like the five, five, five team or something like that. Kenny, how about you? Let's talk cash games, double ups, 50 fifties. How does strategy differ in something like that versus something like the Millie maker? Well, usually, I mean, in my opinion, normally when you do, when you look at these masters pricing in previous years, it's, it's extremely soft. And you have that sort of auto pick play down in the 6K range that you're just going to plug in for cash. I think it was Connors last year, Kisner a couple of years ago, 6,600, 6,800. There isn't that person there this year, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think I'm not a big fan of the 6K when it comes to cash. Uh, so you normally, you know, when it comes to the masters, I would play maybe a couple of guys in the 10K range, 7K. For the rest and, and one low 6k guy maybe even throw an 8k guy in there uh low low price 8k guy uh in there but now this year with the pricing it seems like DraftKings made it just a little bit tighter uh and so because of that uh you know i, I think i have to go balanced um so you know with my cash game cornerstones i'm doing you know uh spieth kepka adam scott and uh corey connors and i i see your point about connor's going to be super well super crazy owned so you know, I'll have him in cash where ownership is not really that important. Uh, and I'll be light on him uh, in the GPP, which is usually my strategy when it comes to it. Now, I might break that strategy a little bit this year, especially with Kepka. I think I want to have a little bit more than I normally have anyone in my cash game cornerstone with Kepka. But I think you, I think more of a balanced lineup because, I mean, you know, normally the six of six rate in the in the Masters is a bit higher uh, just because, you know, you only got about 20 guys that are rosterable that are going to miss the cut. Um, so, you know, you sort of have to get that six of six and, you know, it was still pretty easy to get that six of six, even with a six K guy in the previous years this year, I just don't see that guy. Uh, so a lot more balanced, uh, the lowest price guy I have right now is 7,100, but that I'm leaving yeah. 500, uh, on, on the, uh, uh, under the cap. So, you know, I, I could go all the way to 76 if I feel like it, but I mean, uh, I'm not trusting Casey this week. So you guys knew we were going to go here, and I've already talked to Bear off a little bit about this um, in DMs, but I want to talk about Tiger specifically as a DFS play. Um, I am seeing the projections that I've seen so far are lower than I thought they would be, um, and I know this, I guess, diff I think it's probably going to differ uh, based contest to contest, but I guess we'll probably talk about like the $15 Millie Maker um, because that's probably going to be it is clearly right now the most popular contest. So I want to get all your guys' takes. We'll, we'll start with you, Tambo. Where do you think Tiger actually lands when it's all said and done? And and is he a play for you this week? Yeah, it's something I thought about a lot. Baroff and I have also talked about it some. And I feel like I want to play a little bit of him. But at the same time, I, I'm basically just going to do this. I'm going to play him in some hand builds in something like the $100 Millie maker where I'm going to make my best Tiger teams with my guys that I like, sort of my core plays, so that if my core hits and Tiger does show up, 
and do something crazy, I'm there. But beyond that, and, and I'll say this, in the $15, I think because there is more casuals who will play it, you know, my dad throws his lineup one week in there. I'm sure people will click them. So I could easily see him get 10 to 12% by the time it's all said and done. Maybe if we talk about steam, that's a possibility. Obviously all the quotes, all the player conversations, the, the shots that we've seen or people have seen that are out there at the course, they say he looks great. Uh, the question is whether or not he can do the walk. Uh, the interesting part to me, Andy, is more about like the odds and stuff. Like, why are the why is it plus money for him to make the cut? Seems like a yeah. slam dunk. Why is it like a seventy-four and a half round one number? Like, where is all that coming from? Patrick Reed's minus one seventy-five against him. Yeah. So it, that that throws me off a little bit more. But for me, if you know, it's like everybody else is saying this. I believe it to be true. If you know, if Tiger shows up on Sunday, I'll be here at my house watching the Masters with my dad. Looking forward to it then great. It's going to make for an even better Sunday. I, I just don't worry too much about it. And I think there's just way too many other guys above and below that I feel better about that I want to push my ownership there more so and get action that way. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little higher on him, I think. Uh, as I told you, Andy, I, I expect him to be capped around 8% probably in most of the stuff. You know, any of the kind of higher buy-in stuff, I think he'll be much lower than that. Maybe 4%, 3%, something like that. So, uh, there's certainly leverage there. Um, I I think he's going to be fine. Uh, if he fits your build, the, the only 8K guy that I'm actually, or I, I was excited to play was Neiman. And it seems like he's going to be over-owned as well. So like you're comparing a guy like Tiger to him who hasn't been in great form, Adam Scott, who's probably going to be over-owned and hasn't been great. Uh, Burns, who's a first timer. Like I think Tiger can beat all those guys. Lowry. Um, I'll take Tiger over Lowry here. So yeah. Yeah, I will. I will certainly be playing Tiger this week. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, guys. I thought I had my thing on mute, but I didn't. I apologize. Like I said, I am at work, so I, I occasionally I might have to run out and do a little bit of work while I'm doing the show. I'm trying. I'm trying here. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think that Tiger. I don't know, man. He might. I, I don't. I haven't seen any ownership projections. I usually wait till Wednesday. Uh, you know, so I'm taking guesses here. Uh, I think he might be a little bit higher on than people think. I mean, people love Tiger. What he's talking about, it seems like he can go out there and do his thing. I'm not going to go against him. Uh, I'll probably roster him if he's, you know, high single digits, low, 10, low, double digits. I mean, yeah, I'm in. I I'll roster him, um, you know, because it's Tiger and you can't really never count him out. Um, you know, I made that mistake in 2019 and, you know, and when he won and I was on all these different shows, like Tiger's not going to win. Tiger's not going to win. No way. And then he fucking won. And so I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, I'm not going to make that mistake twice. So, I mean, I, I, I have no problem playing Tiger this week. Um, now, if his ownership, if we look and it's crazy or whatever websites you go on for your ownership, Grubb's Corner, Run Pure, uh, whatever, you know, whatever one you go on, um, Fantasy National, you know, you could, if, if, if it seems like he's going to be like 15 to 18%, then maybe it's worth a fade. Uh, but I don't think it's going to get that high, but I think he's going to garner some ownership. If you guys are building, when you build your stat model this week, what are you putting the highest weight on? Um, the biggest emphasis in that model is on what stat will start with you, Tambo. Yeah, approach, just because that's what the course is. But uh, add a lot around the green, especially, you know, I think that's just something that goes overlooked every single year. So I put more emphasis on that than if we're talking the most common stat that everyone's putting emphasis on, I think, in approach. Ryan. Yeah, pretty similar. Um, I may kind of break it down into buckets a bit, not like the distance buckets, because I don't really do that. Uh, Long-term approach and short-term uh, stress gain around the green. 
Kenny, how about uh, Strokes gain tee to green probably with approach in there and also factoring in a bunch of uh, around the green as well. But, I mean, you know, those are like the classic ones that you go with. I don't think you go against that. I want to get a little bit farther down the board and, and talk about some of the some of the uh, the lower priced options. Do you guys have a guy? I guess we'll say anyone below seven point five that really has your attention this week that maybe not a lot of people are talking about too much. I'll, I'll go before Baroff probably steals my thunder because I think it might be his guy at some point. I, I'm a I'm a Thomas Peters guy. You know he's yeah, he's talked too. to me about him a bunch, and I just think. The upside is there. That's one of the things that when we talked a little bit earlier, just to relate back to it, try and tie it down, is like there's a lot of guys down here that people, you know, Kisners, Nah, Harmon's, of course, one of them could show up. Harmon got T12 last year. But my point is it's not just more about the bomber angle. I think that is interesting, Andy. I know you talked about that this week well before anybody else did on your podcast. I loved it. I just think it's not just about that. It's about is there potential upside? Yes, he could go completely backwards, even miss the cut. Who knows? I know more people make the cut, but if he does make it through and has kind of a good week, puts three rounds together that Sunday, I, I don't really fear it that much. And I think he could easily get me a top 20 and something that ends up on a winning roster, a winning GPP lineup on my roster versus the guy that I'm just like, oh, at least he's T36. Let's see what he does on Sunday and hope for the best. And he could actually end up going backwards too. So, I, you know, I, I look for the upside when I'm going down there and there's a few other guys like that, but Peter stands out for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ignore that and talk to you about Thomas Peters first. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that's my guy. I'll, I'll certainly be using him. The other one. Um, and again, just because the first timer narrative, you know, it tends to keep ownership down. I don't really see a reason to stop playing Cameron young. Um, I prefer him to Luke list and all those guys there. Uh, he bombs it, but he's also pretty good with his wedges. He's pretty good with the putter, and he scores on par fives. Um, I'm really looking at kind of that very, very recent form. And, of course, over the last eight weeks or so, he's been one of the best in the world. So uh, I think you'll get him probably 4%, 3% owned. Yeah, I mean, uh, you stole my thunder on that one. I like Cameron Young a lot uh, at 7K, especially for GPPs. I mean, when you get down to this price, I mean, you can sort of ignore the debutante thing. If you get to top 10, top 20, uh, it should still be fine. I mean, other guys – uh, that I will be looking at in this range, probably Mark Leishman, Siwoo Kim. They are both in my cash lineup as of now. When you look at Siwoo Kim, uh, it's sort of funny. You know, he used to be one of the most erratic golfers on tour. Now he's making every cut, uh, you know, and he's playing pretty – he's played pretty well here uh, at Augusta. I think he makes a pretty good cash option. He played well last week. If you're looking in the 6K range, I'm going again with my Korean brethren. I know he doesn't have a length, uh, and I know it'll be a little bit tougher for him because – but, you know, if you look um, at Kevin Nam. And how good he is around the greens. Uh, I think that could play into effect a uh, big time this week. I mean, the thing is, it's not like, I don't think he's going to win. Uh, but he has four top 15s uh, in his career. Or in the last, I guess, what, eight times he's played this course. So it's not like this course is impossible uh, yes. for him. Uh, you know, and especially with his prowess around the greens. Uh, I like him in that 6K range. Guys, thank you. Like we could, I feel like we could sit here for an hour and just keep talking. Uh, we're on a little bit of a tight schedule. I greatly appreciate your guys' time. Like three of the legit OGs in the fantasy golf uh, world in terms of putting out content, both on Twitter, uh, podcast format, video, all that stuff. So I appreciate you guys all uh, breaking off a couple of minutes for us here. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having us. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, man. Thanks, Thanks guys. A lot. That was a blast. Later, Thanks, guys. guys. See ya. All right. Good stuff. Listen, um, 
I don't want to bury the lead here too much, but there's a lot of people in two of our three guys there said it. I listened to a little bit of the sports gambling podcast with you yesterday. A lot of people are immediately <laughs> fading Vic Hovland up yeah. at the top in the 10K range. Almost everyone. I'm going to save it like basically the last 20 minutes of the show. You and I are finally going to get to talk and kind of go yeah. back and forth on some takes. So I'm going to save it for them, but stick around for that. But before we uh, move on to the next segment, uh, Brooks. God, I'm so excited to talk about Brooks. We have our next edition of the Player Spotlight. My good friend, your good friend. We we we've both known him for quite a while. Uh, Luke Walker at Luke Sweated Out on Twitter is here to do uh, a Player Spotlight on Brooks Kepka. Here he is. All right, welcome in to another Player Spotlight segment. This time with my good friend Luke Walker. Also, I must say, a fellow. Huge Brooks stand. I had to bring in the one guy that I think is the biggest fan of him as I am to to make this point for me. Luke, what's up, dude? Not too much, Joe. Happy to he, uh, be here talking about our favorite guy, the uh, the big game hunter, Mr. Brooks Kepka himself. So we got a big game, right? The biggest game. Um, what do you see like incoming? What are some stats that that sort of trends? How's his health look to you? Where where's the state of his game right now? Yeah, so I think that the state of his game right now is is almost peaked would be the best way to describe it. And I think that a lot of people are, are going to be looking at him for that exact reason because they're they're seeing some incoming form that is is looking pretty nice. It's trending the right way. Um, you know, we go back to Phoenix, I think, is is really where this run started. Yeah. Um, he had the the T3 in, in Phoenix. He missed the playoff by one. You know, what I really liked was his strokes gain off the tee numbers, five strokes off the tee, uh, 2.2 approach, you know, 5.9 tee to green. Genesis, you and I talked about this, not really a course that he likes. Right. Um, you know, had a miscut there, no big deal. He goes to Honda, has a nice little T16. Again, 5.6 tee to green. He gets the wrong side of the draw at the players, gets basically blown off the course for his second round. It derails what was a really good starting it was, you know, he was, he was three under with a chance to get up and down on a par five to get to four under. And then, you know, just ended up in the water a bunch and, and everybody in his way basically had the same fate as him. So I'm willing to completely throw that out. Then we go to the Valspar, another 5.3 T to green. So in three of his last five events, you know, he's basically averaging five and a half strokes T to green Valspar. He had the round of the day uh, in yeah. round four. And, and just looked like he was ready to, to come for heads at the match play, which for the most part he did. He, he swept his matches in his, in his pod, 3-0. He goes up against big bad number one in the world, John Rahm, takes him down. Some people may tell you that he didn't look very good in that, in that uh, round against Rahm, but you know what? He won against the world number one, yep. and uh, it was mostly just the inability to make some, some putts. You know, Tita Green was really good. And then you see the exact same thing against DJ. He, uh, Tita Green looks great, it's, especially the approach play is just on fire. Couldn't make a putt, ends up take, you know, taking the loss to DJ, which in my mind, not that bad of a thing. You know, yeah. I, I think that taking Sunday off, not having to play two more or one more round is nothing wrong with that. He got his rounds in, he looked fantastic. Um, you know, and, and so those are what the, the stats will tell you that he looks like you and I both are guys who watch him all the time, right? Cause we bet him all the time. So we're tracking yeah. him all the time. We're watching him on the featured coverage. 
And with Brooks, you really can see when he's there and when he's not. You know, I, I always like to watch his his balance and his follow through. If he's leaning one way or the other, you know it's not as weak. He's having some struggles. When he is perfectly balanced and, and you can see that the tempo is right, the balance is right, the results are always right. I mean, he is hitting the ball just missiles down the fairway, whether it's with driver or the three wood, it doesn't matter. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we've seen over the last basically two months is a lot of really good balance, a lot of rolling putts really nicely. You know, it's always the line that he wants, whether it's going in or not is, is a, is a different thing. There's a lot of variation and, and randomness and putting, but if he's getting the ball rolling on the line that he wants, you can't really ask for much more other than hopefully get lucky and, and have a lot of them start dropping. Yeah, you're you're spot on with the balance. I look at that a lot too. Um, he was perfectly balanced and hit like one of the third, I think, longest drive ever recorded on the PJ Tour. So the power is there. He looks healthy. He looks in great shape. But let's talk about his chances at the Masters. Books right now, we're a couple days out, floating around that eighteen to one mark. Let's call it. Um, what do you think of his chances? How does he win? What is his path to victory at Augusta? Yeah, so the odds are so funny with Brooks because we've been getting between 30 and 40 for basically every tournament that he's played in. But in the futures markets for the Masters, he's never moved out of the teens. It's it's always been there in, you know, 16, 18, whatever it may be. There were some boosts available on certain sites in mm-hmm. the like 22, 25 range, but not every book is doing that. You know, and, and the books are just, they understand who this guy is and they're, they're afraid to, to float any numbers on him for a, uh, for a major. And, you know, I think that when you're, when you're talking about majors in 2020, 2022, excuse me, the conversation absolutely has to start with Brooks. It's, it's what he does. Um, you know, so looking at his, at his master's record specifically, his first master's was in 2015, 33rd in 2016, 21st, 2017, 11th. He didn't play in 2018. 2019, T2, one stroke behind yep. uh, behind Tiger. In the fall Masters of 2020, he was T7th, and then he missed the cut in 2021. So that's his only ever missed cut at the Masters. With a horrible – like he could he could barely stand up. He couldn't even bend down. He, he hadn't played six weeks coming in, and he didn't yeah. play the five weeks coming out. It was his only tournament for basically a three-month span. Right. He was clearly right injured. Off. And, and he, he just battled because he loves this tournament. Um, so I think that that's really encouraging for Brooks. I think that the Masters is certainly a tournament where you don't just show up and win. You know, we, we've seen guys show up and play well. Zalatoris just last year, you know, in his debut had a – Yeah. He was contending. Um, usually, though, the way that it goes is you get a couple of reps, you, you play it, you are a little bit better every time. And so I think his form trending in – with you know 33rd 21st 11th and then two top 10s he's knocking on the door he's right there he's got a ton of experience now he understands what it takes at this course um and and as far as his path to victory i think it's pretty clear um we talked about the balance off the tee and and really just starting to hit some bombs augusta is a place where you really can bomb away off the tee it's wide open off the tee and like most golf courses, it, it truly is a second shot golf course. And mm-hmm. due to its length, a lot of those second shots are are long irons. And I think that Brooks Kepka is maybe as good as anyone on the planet with a long iron in his hand. We've seen a lot of these tournaments recently where it's 
it's driver wedge or or a lot of short irons. And and honestly, I don't think that that's what favors Brooks's game. I think that he's better on a long golf course that you know takes a lot of guys out of the question as far as who can actually contend. And if you put a long iron in his hand over and over and over, I think that he's going to be better than anybody. And then on the greens, he's he's shown us that he can be an elite putter, an elite lag putter, um, and, and make the clutch ones when he needs to. So I think that's the path to victory is stay healthy, hit the long irons, take advantage of the par fives. And, uh, you know, he's not a guy who's who's going to wither. He's, he's mentally stronger than most of these guys. He knows how to win majors. He knows how to contend against the the top dogs. And I think it's all right there for the taking. Absolutely love it, man. The uh, the majors are what he plays for. He's healthy. He looks great. Um, and I think it's time for the king to sort of retake his throne. Uh, Luke Walker at Luke Sweated Out on Twitter. Thank you for providing some assurance for me uh, on Brooks Kepka this week. And appreciate you stopping by for the player spotlight, brother. Anytime, buddy. You know that uh, anytime you call, I'm I'm going to answer. So thanks for having me, and and go Brooks. Hey, back up the Brooks truck, right? Boom, Brooks truck. Let's go. <laughs> All right, the case made there from Luke. Uh, appreciate it. We'll talk more about that later as well. We're going to keep it right moving. Listen, you want to win a million dollars with like 300,000 people in the contest, you're going to have to pay attention to ownership, make some pivots based on leverage. We've got three guests in here to kind of go over this next segment. I'm going to introduce them one by one. First, my good pal, my old friend on Preferred Lines. Welcome to the stream. Hailing from Minnesota, Chad Eckerd. What's going on? Oh, boys, how you doing? Hey, I love the fact that you included me on this uh, prestigious panel of experts here. Of course, man. Next up, uh, coming to you straight from, I think it's like Lexington, Kentucky area, but an awesome dude. I've been on his show a while, which is incredible. Uh, welcome to the show, Rob, DFSRC Guilt. Did I get that Twitter handle right, buddy? What's going on? Yeah, yeah you couldn't have got it more right. So I, you know, follow what Chad said. Appreciate being here. Um, excited to talk Masters. Very much excited. And last but certainly not least, the most electric man on golf Twitter who has absolutely taken the universe in golf Twitter by storm over the last six months. Welcome to the show, the one and only Big Curse Dog. What's up, Brian? I am. My heart is so full seeing Chad and Joe right side by side together. Like, I feel like I, I like an ex couple just kind of reunited in a park or something. And I, I can feel that the love is in the air between you two. And I, I'm glad to be uh, to be joined by some great guests tonight. Good vibes everywhere. Andy, I'm going to let you kick it off with the first question here. What do you got for our boys? All right. So. Let's obviously start with the top, right? I want to go around the horn here. And and this was kind of a question that we talked a little bit about um, with our previous guest, but I'm so curious to get your guys' take on where ownership stands now. If there's any big surprises to you so far out of the 10K range, anything that you see that you don't think is right or that you think is going to move in the next 24 hours, uh, I guess let's start with Chad. Okay, well, you have Scheffler at the tippity-tip-top, number one in the world, and he may not be owned, so that's kind of interesting. But what's really alarming to me is that Colin Morikawa at $10,200, that may end up being the pivot that'll win you a GPP. So it's Colin Morikawa, to me, that's being overlooked. It feels like the Open Championship last summer where nobody wanted him. Are we having that same vibe or no? We You're might be. What do you think, Rob? 
Yeah, I, I agree with Colin. I think he's going to, you know, speaking of, of Joe, what you mentioned that in the Millie Maker, the $15, 300,000 plus entry. So if you're going to finish in the top 1%, you're going to have to play a guy like Colin, or I'm a big fan on Victor Hovland, who is at a similar ownership number, I think just one percentage point higher than um, Chad, your boy, Colin, uh, big, big fan of Victor. You, you know, a lot of people, course narrative obviously is important. His course history here is kind of sneaky. You know, was low and the year that Tiger won, finished 32nd, finished 21st last year. But shout out to my boy, D Flowers. He, he started out round one on Thursday with uh, a triple bogey. So I know a big if, but if you take away that triple bogey, he finishes top 10. Um, I, I think Victor Hovland, like Colin, Colin Morikawa, a sneaky play at single-digit ownership number. Uh, BK, I'm, you look like you're chomping at the bit to add in on that. What do you think? No, absolutely. I, I think I think Victor Hovland's a, a fine play this week. My guy at the top of the board that we're talking about a little bit of leverage and to talk about a little bit of ownership discount is going to be Scotty Scheffler for me. Um, I think that a lot of people are not going to want to pay that price for him. But, you know, I... I I agree with this narrative, and I, I think that it, it's true that I think that Bones being on the bag is a big advantage for JT, but I also think that he has Bubba Watson's caddy on the bag, and Scotty Scheffler has obviously been wonderful in the majors, and he's been all right at Augusta. He has a 19th and an 18th place finish, so I just think the fact that people aren't going to want to go there because they're not used to playing that price for him makes him a little bit of a, a nice pivot play at the top of the board. Yeah, guys, kind of what I've found, and I'm no expert certainly on DFS, but a lot of times it gets spread out a good bit at the top, and you can kind of go anywhere. Where you can really make the difference is finding a really like sub 5% guy in the low 7K ranges or even the 6K range um, that if he peaks can, can can win you a lot of money. Who's that guy for you this week? Maybe sub 5 6% that you think is going to cash. Uh, we'll start with Chad. Okay, in the 7K range, the cash money is potentially my guy, Patrick Reed here. Always play Patrick Reed, especially at the Masters alone. Patrick Reed is one of four human beings have to have a top 10 in both the November and April Masters. So Patrick Reed at 7,400. There's another name at 7,400 that for some reason doesn't get any love. And it's my guy, Billy Horschel. Horschel has just come off of a second at API. He was 16th at Honda. Yes, okay, those are Florida swing events. We know that. But at the Phoenix Open, he was 11th. Before that, at Farmers, he was doing well. Listen, okay, he's got a caddy going for him. We're talking about Scotty Scheffler's caddy and whatever else. We got Mark Fulcher. Dude used to be on the bag for Justin Rose. And he's been helping my guy, Billy, stay a little bit more calm out there. We know, I know, it's irritating to click billy horschel but that is why he's the leverage play could we go with billy ho yeah what do you think rob <laughs> yeah i cannot argue with billy ho especially he's having a, an amazing year and i you know there's no like data to back it up but whenever there's like good energy with the golfer where he's holding 30 you know feet putts and chipping in like he has especially earlier this year he, he's got he's got something cooking and mm -hmm. I think there's that my momentum carries over. I, I kind of live and die a lot of the weeks in the 6K range, in the sicko range. And I got two. My favorite is actually Stuart Sink, tied uh, 12th here last year. But over the last 24, he ranks 14th in driving distance. Uh, 
coming in kind of okay at the Valspar. He gained 5.1 on approach, 4T to green. I know he's um, trying to go back to Harbortown and kind of repeat, but, you know, hey, at, at 6,400, if you can get another top 20 when the other five guys in your lineup can, you know, maybe peak, that, that could help you out if you're doing a stars and scrub approach. The other guy real quick is just Eric Van Ruyen, a fast Bermuda guy. Um, greens kind of big on him. He's good around the greens and some long irons. Uh, yeah, BK, what about you? I really like Mark Leishman as a play at a, a $7,300 this week. I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised he's not getting a little bit more buzz. I don't project him to have a lot of ownership with a lot of other 7K guys being very popular, um, like Corey Connors, Matt Fitzpatrick, Russell Henley. And, you know, I think Mark Leishman, he has wonderful history mm-hmm. at the Masters. And uh, he had a top 10 finish here last year, 13th. Uh, the year before, and then he has another ninth place finish. And I think that maybe a little bit of a concern with him would be that he's not coming in in great form. He missed two, his last two cuts before he top 10 at the Masters last year. So I think of, with a lot of flashy and popular names in the 7K range, I really like Mark Leach. I mean, he'll be in a lot of lineups for me, and he's someone I think that can you know be around you know that 8 to 10% ownership and and have a high finish for you. So one thing I noticed when I was I was looking back at some of the Millie Maker lineups at the Masters, and one thing I noticed was they were a lot more chalky than I expected. And uh, talking to a couple people, they echoed it. They were like, yeah, chalk actually, you'd be surprised how much, for whatever reason, chalk tends to hit more at the Masters. So I want to ask you guys, is there any guy for you, we'll start with Chad again, where you're just in. You don't care what the ownership is. You're playing him no matter what. Uh, Brooks Kepka. Hello. It's Mr. Major. Mr. Brooks Kepka. He knows he wants a green jacket. So we're going all in on Brooks. Uh, this is a pro Brooks podcast. We've been preaching Brooks for months and years on preferred lines. Just got Luke sweated out. Luke Walker talking about Brooks. Of course, you got to use Brooks. The price is wrong. We know that. I mean, if the price is. 10-4, it's a different story. But we're looking in the mid-9s. Let's go, Brooksy boy. That's who's mine. All in. Rob? Yeah, and like the, maybe the toot that same horn, like ditto, big, big on Brooks. Um, just seems to be trending in the right direction. We say that a lot. For, for me, it, it's JT. Again, another very popular play. I, I'm not going to speak too much about it because you'll hear his name all over the place. But I do think there's something, too, that kind of what BK alluded to, that Hey, him, he's attached to Tiger at the hip right now. And I know Tiger is really famed for, you know, kind of keeping cards close to his vest when he's playing. But it, it, you know, Rom in his press conference, I think is, there's a little truth to that, that there's a little bit more information given to JT than maybe these other players. Will that get him over the hump? You know, who knows? But it's hard to find a better ball striker than JT right now. Brian? Uh, yeah, I'm going to eat the chalk with Willie Z. Absolutely, 100%. I don't care what his ownership is. I think he's due for another high finish at the Masters. Look, Will Zalatoris is one of the most talented ball strikers on tour. And Augusta National, for whatever reason, is a place that he putted well at in his only appearance here. So, you know, I think you mix that in with the fact that he's actually made some changes to his putter that – were shown at the match play. He was drilling these 12 footers, these really pressure filled putts. And, you know, Andy's talked about a lot that, you know, these long irons are going to be more important this week. Driving distance going to be more important this week. Will Zalatoris is very long off the tee. He's very good with this long irons. It was on full display at Torrey Pines. So I will, no matter what 
ownership Wills Alatoris is at, he'll be in every lineup for me. So, guys, we are about, let's call it like 36 hours from the start of the Masters. One of the things that I've noticed in a lot of these big events lately, um, the players, Kiowa Island, the Open Championship, is there seems to be a distinct advantage to waiting a little bit and playing sort of a weather bias or a stack on players with maybe a late tee time and an early on the second day. Any of you guys see anything that would indicate that could be a, a good situation this week? That's a Rob question, I think. <laughs> you know, I, I was just going to say, like, no. Uh, if, if you're okay. really getting uh, nit, nitpicky, that uh, Friday, obviously, I think everybody knows it's going to blow the hardest. But um, late Friday afternoon, like, as you approach 7 o'clock, again, it, it's probably all going to change. There might be a little uh, easier uh, wind, we'll call it, like, Friday afternoon. But it's really nothing that's going to adapt me. And so I'm, I'm sorry I'm not being a team player and adding any insights. So hopefully – BK can save yeah, me here. I think it's a little bit tough. I think you look at the tee times and it's just like they put every single elite player <laughs> late Thursday except for JT. Like uh, Tiger. Like, like and Tiger, of course. <laughs> I mean that. <laughs> um, but they just group after group Thursday afternoon is just absolutely stacked. And then JT is kind of the odd man out. And I think there's a lot of reasons for him that, you know, he's obviously going to play well. But I think in that situation, you just have to hope that he goes low enough on Thursday in the favorable conditions and can kind of tread water on Friday um, in, in a little bit of more difficult conditions. But I think it's tough with the weather because at the players, you, they're not. There's not going to be any delays this week, I don't believe. But it's hard to judge when they're going to delay and how long they're going to. So that just messes everything up. So it's very tough. Um, but all the elite guys seem to be playing uh, Thursday afternoon. Okay, final question, guys. I want to go around the horn here one more time and ask you, and and also plug all your stuff before you guys get out of here. I know Please. you guys are all busy men this week. Uh, but one guy, and I've already talked to Brian a little bit about this, one guy that you have 0% of that is absolutely not winning, no chance, no chance this guy wins, no chance this guy plays well. Let's start with Chad. Oh, shit. Well, there's easy outs. <laughs> On this answer, you could take Hideki, you could take Bryson, possibly. You know, you could use that as a reason. To not, that's that's weak. That's weak. <laughs> and I'm not doing that. I will tell you right now. Oh, God. Uh, Scotty <laughs> Scheffler, as the TPG, the top price guy, he will not win. I'm going to say Scotty Scheffler potentially doesn't even make it into the top 10. We're going to have an overpriced Scotty Scheffler. That's my prediction. No Scotty for me, Rob. Yeah, I'm, I might go a little different route just with uh, there's a few guys that I think, you know, maybe will underperform on their salary and ownership. But just from a hard look at ownership and especially at top of the board, can, can he win? Obviously, he's played so well here. But Cam Smith for me is if you got him at a good number, I, I would love an outright on him. Uh, I did it. But at 25 percent owned regardless of his form and ownership, it's just not within me to um, play a guy at his high, one of his highest salaries he's ever been um, in a major. And then one of the highest salaries he's kind of been at 25% and then almost at 10K. Like any investment, it's hard to make a profit when you're buying someone at their high. And so, the, you know, we're talking about leverage. 
the leverage opportunity that you can get if a, if you fade Cam Smith, to me, it's just too uh, lucrative. There's too much upside. Can I get burned? And he could be, you know, first round leader by three strokes Thursday. Yeah, sure. But I'm willing to, to die on that hill just with the opportunity to t- take on some of that uh, possible leverage if he just happens to not play well. I don't feel good about it and it's scary, but uh might just not work for me. So I'm going to hope with uh, everything I can that Cam Smith doesn't win this week. BK. Yeah, I honestly agree with Rob. I do not think Cam Smith will <laughs> win. I, I think that it would just be like two uh, – he's not going to win. I, I'm with you there with Rob. But I said it before, and like I agree. This is kind of a cheap answer. It's not as cheap as Chad's answer per se. <laughs> but I will say unequivocally Rory will not win. Uh, you know, he would have mm. done it by now. Uh, I think that is the reason I'm going with <laughs> Rory would have won the masters by now. He's two in his own head. doesn't matter that Tiger's not going to be there. It doesn't matter that the spotlight's on him. Rory, although this course should be perfect for him, I, I do not believe that Rory will win the masters and we will get a, a storybook uh, career grand slam for Rory uh, this week. Great stuff, guys. It felt like just five boys in all four corners of the United States just talking <laughs> golf. So I greatly appreciate all you guys stepping on um, at Adina Real Chi on Twitter. Rob is DFSRC Guild at Brian Kirshner as well. Uh, make sure to give them a follow on Twitter. Check out all of their content. They all do fantastic work. Thanks for joining us, fellas. Thanks. Have guys. a good night. Always I appreciate what you guys do. Have a good night. All right. That was cool. fun, man. That was a blast. Yeah. Just um, getting the boys together. Okay. Welcome back. We are now live again. Um, man, you see what happens? You get rid of Chad. Um, you start preferred. Sabotages everything. Totally sabotages your show. Um, it accidentally <laughs> ended the live stream there. But we are back. Part B version 2.0 we're going to continue to keep it going andy i don't want to waste any more time and get us off schedule i'm going to kick it right to actually a really fun interview and it's not so much dfs or gambling related but i spoke to steve scott who competed in the us and wanted to talk to him just about how unique the experience is and how cool i think it is that the premier event essentially in a sport um allows amateurs to come and play alongside like can you imagine just regular guys out of the uh out of the local YMCA going to play in the NBA finals. That's kind of what you get at Augusta national. And Steve's got a little bit more info. Here he is. Fascinated by the aspect of a professional sport, allowing amateurs to play in basically their premier event every year. So I wanted to bring on someone and ask them some questions. Who's actually done it before I have with me today, Steve Scott, former number one ranked amateur player in the world, uh, PGA Tour teaching pro. You'll see him on live on the coverage with the PGA Tour. Now, Steve, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. How are you, sir? Well, I'm glad to connect with you, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's let let's dig right into it. I'm going to set the stage, Steve. And I know that you've told this a million times, but some of my audience may not have heard it before. So let me just set the <laughs> stage for everyone real quick. Mm-hmm. 1996. U.S. Amateur Championship at Pumpkin Ridge in uh, outside of uh, Portland, Oregon. Yep. You're a 19-year-old sophomore, Florida boy, just like me out of the University of Florida. You head cross-country. Uh, it starts out with, I believe, 312 players, right? Everyone's completing in a traditional stroke play event. 
top 64 <clears throat> qualify for match play. You win, Steve, the first five matches. You get to the 36-hole finale all the way, two holes to play. You've got a little bit of a lead. You're on the putting green. Just tell everyone sort of what happens next and how it has sort of changed the rest of your life in what way. There's really maybe one guy that, that could have beat me that day, and he was the one who turned out to be, you know, arguably the greatest player of our generation in Tiger. So um, it was an amazing day, but the really the epic moment, I mean, the match went 38 holes, but the really the epic moment of the match was on the 34th hole when uh, Tiger was going to play from the wrong spot. And uh, I, I had asked him to move his mark over, and and I, I, I made a par putt, forcing him to make his birdie putt to win the hole outright. And uh, he was going to play from the wrong spot. And, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I, I love the sp playing by the spirit of the game like so many golfers around the world do. Uh, it was kind of one of those things. I just I told Tiger, hey, you've got to move it back. And uh, it was a pretty crucial moment in golf history. And hopefully everybody who plays the game would have done that. But uh, I've had a lot of people tell me over the years that maybe they wouldn't have. And so anyway, it's um, uh, he moved it back and then you hold a, a long, long putt on the next hole to tie the match. And then he won on the 38th hole. But, you know, the 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 moment right there is really highlights what the greatness of the game is all about. And, sure. you know, for me to be in that moment and have that uh, transpire like it did, uh, it was a pretty special thing, despite not taking home the victory that day. When you're up five <clears throat> after 18, I assume there's some sort of like a little breather for lunch or something like that before you come back out. Did you have a sense at that point of what Tiger Woods was at the moment and how great I obviously didn't know maybe he was going to be like he is, but was he such a, a force and enigma in the golf world at that point? Yeah, completely. I mean, he had won three U.S. juniors in a row and then two U.S. amateurs in a row to that point, and nobody had won three straight U.S. amateurs in the history of the game. And for me to be the only guy that he was up against uh, to, you know, to stop that history, basically, it was, yeah, it was a pretty monumental day. And and yeah, I, I mean, I knew he was going to do something in the second 18 and yeah. he came out and he, I mean, I, I forced him to pull off these miraculous shots that ultimately he just kept on doing, you know, throughout his career. He turns pro the next day. Hello world. The whole thing. We, we remember that in Milwaukee and, and he that was, was off and running later, right? And he won. Yeah. He turns pro right after we played. I was the last amateur match he ever played and he wins, uh, two events that fall on tour and then wins the masters eight months later and turns the golf world on its head. And, and, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing that it, it transpired in that small of a time window right after we played. Well, one positive that I know you can definitely draw from it all was a few months later, um, you received an invitation in the mail. Talk to me about like what that feeling was opening it up and seeing an invite to the following masters. Well, I was hoping that it would be coming, and it it, uh, it did. You have to, you definitely have to get invited. Uh, it's not an automatic entry, and um, but um, yeah, the, the moment to 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 get that, and you know, I, I think, I mean, I felt like I would get going into that final match. I think that's what gave me the freedom uh, to go and play as well as I did because huh. the two finalists in that U.S. Amateur get to the Masters, and so. I mean, I guess I kind of knew I would get in, but, um, you know, until that, until it shows up on your doorstep, you're never quite sure, but it's a super special moment to, to receive that. 
and um, and know that yeah you're going to be able to to go and play some practice rounds beforehand and and experience the Masters. I mean, there's there's plenty of players who play the PGA Tour, you know, without a victory who will never experience what I experienced driving down Magnolia Lane and playing in the Masters in 1997. I mean, it's been 25 years. So I really can't believe it. Yeah, I know it's going back a little bit mm-hmm. in, in 25 years, but just kind of walk me through what the experience was like a little bit pulling into the Masters, right? For the first time, you're an amateur. You're still a teenager at the t- at the time. Um, who are you with? What are you driving? Like, how do you know where to park and where to get in? And like, <laughs> what's the situation like just driving up there for the first time? Were you nervous? Yeah, sure. Certainly. I mean, I'd, I'd gone there about a month before and played a few practice rounds. And okay. so I kind of knew where things were. But uh, at the same time, you know, so I, I came straight from a collegiate event in uh, northern Georgia. And I drove I drove up there and then I drove over to Augusta and uh, kind of had this, you know, beat up Honda Civic. And um, it just it was funny. I pull in, you know, Sunday night before the Masters week and I pull in about nine o'clock and you know, I had to show my ID and they kind of couldn't believe that. OK, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I kind of couldn't believe that I was I was there and didn't yeah. get the full picture of Magnolia Lane until the next day, until the sun came back out. But, um, you know, I got there and one of the assistant pros at the time, a guy named Doug Mauch, showed me up uh, to the crow's nest. I got to stay in the crow's nest a few nights until my family came in. And I mean, to stay on the grounds of Augusta National before Masters Week uh, and it was it was it was pretty uh, it's just electric. I mean, it's kind of like you're a kid on Christmas Eve. So the crow's nest, I'm not <laughs> sure how many people that may be watching this understand it. So it's, it's, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong. It's basically an upstairs within the clubhouse at Augusta national that they invite the amateurs competing for the week to, to stay in. Is that correct? That's, that's exactly right. Were you there alone or were, were other guys with you? Yeah, I actually was there alone that week. It was kind of weird because Tiger turned pro and yeah. the the mid-am champ um, and the British amateur champ, they were both they were both mid-am. They were both probably in their, you know, 30s or 40s. And so they had family, I think, with them. And so they didn't stay. And yeah, it was kind of weird to stay there. I stayed there for two nights. And um, yeah, it was it was just pretty outrageous to to do that, go sneak down in the champion's locker room at eleven o'clock at night and realized Jack Nicholas only has one green jacket, uh, not, not, not six. And, um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, just to be able to do that. I mean, w- one thing really cool that maybe not a lot of people know of is that there are really no menus at Augusta national. You just basically tell them what you want and they make it. And, uh, <laughs> so that's, that, that's a pretty cool thing too, to, to experience, but everybody's so friendly, so welcoming, uh, just to the time of my life. So you mentioned, that you got to play a practice round with Jack. Like, how does that come about? Do you, are you just kind of on the grounds or are you approaching guys on the range? Like, Hey, can you, do you mind if I, do you mind if I hop on and be a fourth here with you guys today or sort of, how does that come about? Well, it was something that was arranged well ahead of time. I, I, I wrote uh, my college coach, university of Florida suggested that I, you know, if there was somebody that I wanted to play with that I write them a letter and this is before emails and before, you know, uh, you know, for really, you know, most technology that connects you like that. So yeah, I wrote him a letter and it took, it took uh, Mr. Nicholas a while to write back. He was busy in January or whatever. He writes back in, 
early February, probably gone by for, you know, four, five, six weeks and at least. And, um, and yeah, I just said, here, connect with my, connect with my, uh, my secretary and she'll set everything up. And we played in Tuesday afternoon practice round after the, he flew, he flew in that morning. And, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing that, that all, that all those players agreed to play with me in a practice round. And, um, yeah, it made the experience uh, pretty unbelievable. So you get to first tee on Thursday. Most nervous mm-hmm. you've ever been over a tee shot, or how did, how were you feeling coming in? You really had nothing to lose, mm-hmm. kind of, right? Yeah, I wasn't playing that well. I, I didn't have a lot okay. of good control of my ball, and so you know, I wish I was playing better, and that that's yeah. what I wish. But um, yeah, I, I just I just didn't quite have my game, but. Uh, yeah, I was pretty nervous for that fact. I kind of blocked my tee shot right at the fairway bunker and I hit it in the trees, but I had an alleyway and I hit a nine iron up there on the green and I two putted for par and I was on my way. And, but, um, yeah, it was, it was just, it's too cool, but yeah, it's amazing when, when you're nervous and your adrenaline starts pumping, how, how much your heart can just totally beat out of your chest. Was it surreal in any way for you to think? You know, a couple of months ago, I had this guy on the ropes and now he's out here. Obviously, he wins the 97 Masters by what was it? 12 strokes. Was it was it in any way um, like what was that like watching that sort of happen from your angle? I mean, pretty unbelievable. I think what he did on the front nine of that first round when he went out and shot 40 uh, at, at the Masters there, you know, I. I mean, and what he did going to that back nine to shoot 30, and that's what I experienced when I played it. He, he flipped a switch better and faster than I've ever seen. And that, that's, that's really been his hallmark. He was just able to, yeah. to, turn, to turn bad or not so great play into great at just the drop of a hat. And, and that, that, that will always be something that I, I will remember you know, because when he played, we, he was not playing well when we when we played. He did not play well in the morning 18 at all. I think he shot hmm. about 76 if it was stroke play. And uh, the fact that he was able to come out and shoot a basically a 65 in the second 18 at Pumpkin Ridge to tie me, just to tie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pretty outrageous numbers. When, the, when these amateurs show up here, is there a little pressure or – to 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 have a caddy you know from augusta who kind of knows the course better yeah i mean i guess it might have helped a little bit in hindsight the greens are are very difficult to read uh, that's what i was thinking yeah one, one of the one of the guys a guy who was actually the co-writer of of my book uh hey tiger you need to move your mark back uh just wrote that book last year and my, my co-writer's name is trip bowden he was the first white caddy at augusta national back in the late 80s and one phrase that i'll never forget that he said he said that you don't read the greens at augusta you remember them your story just in general is is i think such a testament to your character and admirable i just again it's so amazing to me that such a premier event in a sport has amateurs invited and they're competing with the best players in the world as one of the few people kind of before before you leave me here, who have had the chance to do it, why is that experience so unique and special? Well, the Masters is just so, I mean, 
it's just it has so much history. I mean, tying to the the days of Bobby Jones and him creating the the golf course yeah. and the club and and who was a member there and the traditions that they have and the amateur dinner is really special. We had an amateur dinner there on Tuesday night of the week, and you know to be able to you know do that and and to have you know, great champions and, you know, like there was Charlie Coe and some great, just some great amateurs. It was almost like a pep rally for the amateurs um, that, that, you know, they wanted us because that was the spirit of Bobby Jones. I mean, he was a lifelong yeah. amateur. He wanted the amateurs to succeed at the masters. And so, you know, they always wanted, they always want to give the amateurs a, a great feeling that, Hey, they, they can have a chance to go and win it. And um, so that's, that's the, that was the special thing, really, that I'll, I'll remember. Such a cool story. I genuinely appreciate you for taking some time out of your busy week and out of the studio this week, Steve. Um, tell our audience sort of where they can find you, um, where they can find your book. Do you have a website or anything like that that they can learn a little bit more about you and your story? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can go on movethatback.com and I will personally sign a book and send it to you. Uh, I'm fulfilling all those orders. And uh, happy to to do that. You can also get it on Amazon, but I won't sign it for you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can check me out on social media at s scott pga on Instagram and Twitter. It's the spirit of golf mm-hmm. and the your ability to sort of embody that at 19 years old is is so impressive to me. I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you all enjoyed this segment. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Steve. Here we go. Another edition of the Player Spotlight segment. This time, actually, I wanted to bring this up, Ben. The very first guest on Preferred Lines, now a recurring guest, Mr. Ben Coley. Welcome to the show. Um, And you're going to do a Player Spotlight on someone you're excited to talk about, Justin Thomas. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm glad to see, um, yeah, look at you. You know, two years down the line, you've you've got this lovely setup behind you. It's it's all good. And uh, Good on you. Yeah, this is a great idea you've, you've got. So I'm looking forward to making the case. Thanks a ton. Yeah. So here's how we're kind of going to roll. I'm going to give you the floor. Let us know your thoughts just incoming, I guess, a little bit on the recent form coming into the Masters for, for JT. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the number one thing I would say about the Masters is um, there's this fascinating dynamic, which I'm I'm excited to see how it plays out. And there's no guarantee it'll play out the way I think it will. But the dynamic is experience versus um, the brazenness of youth. And in golf today, it's the youth uh, that they're the winning. You know, like it does not matter um, if you if you go to a place where you're supposed to be experienced, like Joaquin Neiman, for instance, at Riviera. You're not really supposed to win at the Riv or Riv, sorry, as I'm supposed to call it, um, that early in your career and in that style. But people can do it now. Um, Scotty Scheffler winning three times in five weeks. You know, th- there's no let up for these guys. Colin Morikawa winning on his Open Championship debut because he figured something out that made him a, a Lynx golfer in five days. It's just they're so good at learning. But Augusta, I think, still requires patience and a little bit of a learning curve. Now, there are exceptions to every rule, right? Jordan Spieth nearly won it on his first go. Will Zalatoris could easily have won it on his first go. So I'm sure at some stage we will see a debut champion for the first time since 1979. But for now, I think you just have to rein yourself in a bit and say to yourself, look, all these new guys with their flashy profiles who've been here a couple of times before, even their brilliance may be shackled a little bit by 
um, a lack of experience. And that all leads me back to JT. Uh, he's playing here for the seventh time. That's kind of perfect. I mean, Hideki took 10, DJ took 10. And I think we're in the, the, the golden years now for JT. These next four or five years are when he wants to be becoming a Masters champion. I think it's the golden age for him at Augusta. In terms of his form, obviously, he's been playing really well. He's hit the ball really well at the Valspar. Um, he hit the ball brilliantly in Phoenix, could easily have won that. But actually, what I, what I really like is that we've seen just that little uptick in his putting. I think coming out of Phoenix, he ranked 175th on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting. He's up to 99th. Now, obviously, um, you want to see a little bit more than that still, but it's a really important step forward. And if you can take that with him to Augusta, where all the stats tell you, nobody's hit it like him really over the last couple of years. Um, if he has really found something on the greens, I don't see anybody who's got the better game for this test. So Justin Thomas, Masters champion 2022, please let it be. How much do you think the uh, inclusion of bones on the bag uh, may help him potentially this year at Augusta? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I think we're probably, and, and particularly people like me, I'm probably, as anyone who reads my stuff, like I, I, I don't know, one of the things I love about sport is the emotional side of it, um, the narrative, for want of a better word, and I probably am a bit of a sucker for it sometimes. Um, but I think we've seen a very explicit example this year. I mean, look at Scotty Scheffler with Ted Scott on the bag. Now, I'm not disrespecting the guy before him, and it doesn't always work this way. Um, but obviously, Ted Scott could be a big asset for Scotty at Augusta, uh, given what he's achieved there with Bubba. But but Bones, I really think if there's going to be one tournament where it does help JT, it has to be this one. Obviously, um, a three-time winner here with Mickelson. But the thing I really like, and it's something that Thomas has spoken of before, he has struggled, certainly in his first few years, he felt he had to play defensively. And the thing that makes Justin Thomas one of the best golfers on the planet is that he's aggressive um, and that he trusts himself to hit those iron shots pin high. And we see it week in, week out, everywhere else he plays. At the Masters, despite some really good tee to green stats, he says he just has felt a little bit shackled and he's been trying to get himself, convince himself to just be him. And if you need sort of um, a backup there, something to really give you confidence to be the player you are the other 51 weeks of the year, then why not be, you know, a caddy who's been there and done it? And it always makes me think of this. I, I wish I could attribute the quote because I don't know where I heard it once, but I remember seeing an interview with Bones and he was asked, do you think Phil would have won more if he'd been a bit less aggressive? And Bones's reply was, no, other people would win more if they were like Phil. He thinks he sees golfers who are not willing to back themselves to go and take on the shots like the, the famous shot Phil hit from the trees on 13, like the shot he hit to the 17th green when he won the Open Championship, which I think Bones would say is the best shot he's ever seen, the bravest shot he's ever seen. Um, JT now should feel absolute confidence. And look, he didn't have a mug on the bag before, did he? Um, but now we've got Bones. And I think in terms of the, the Augusta caddy hierarchy, there's no one higher. So yeah, I think it has to be a help. If you could, Ben, if you could create a path that would most lead to him putting on a green jacket, what would it be? Is it a quick start? Is it just blowing the field away with iron play? Like, what does he really need to do, in your opinion, uh, to come through this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think really you want you want a quick start. And, you know, we've seen him win tournaments from the front. The front, you know, it's a long way from a Sony Open, but Open 59 there and, and they never saw which way he went. So um, I would like to see him get off to a good start because I think when you when you do find yourself perhaps needing those Friday moves and he's made some good Friday moves, um, certainly in the November edition where uh, he was the favorite at halfway as he was last year. 
um, despite being sixth through 36 holes. He has made good Friday moves. But I think for me, what I actually more specifically, I would like to see him get off to a good start and really take care of that back nine on Thursday because it's caused him one or two problems in the past. I remember, you know, the November edition, he he was looking great and he dunked a wedge into the water on 13 and it really derailed him. And I think, you know, if you were to have a criticism of his profile as a, a player, obviously he's a major champion and there are, there are many players towards the top of this market who are not. Um, but Thomas, since winning a major, has been very disappointing in them. There's no doubt about that. And I think he has at times struggled to deal with the setbacks you suffer. Um, and so I suppose the best way to avoid answering that concern would be not to suffer any setbacks. But obviously it doesn't go like that. So, yeah, I think we need to see him play that back nine well on Thursday. That would be the ideal start for me. If he can do that, whether it's two, three, four, five under par on day one, I think you could have the foundations for a really special week. Final question, Ben, and you know I have to ask this, but do you think the inclusion of his great friend Tiger Woods being in the field as of now uh, has any effect, positive or negative, on how you feel about JT's chances this week? I think if he gets grouped with him, you could argue that might be a negative. Although he's got a brilliant record playing with Tiger, you know he generally gives Tiger a bit of a, uh, Tiger a bit of a schooling when they play together. Um, I, I don't know is the answer, uh, and we'll find out. But I will say it has to be a positive that he got to play 18 holes with him earlier this week. You know, how many people get the benefit of that? I dare say they'll play together again on, on Monday, Tuesday, whatever Tiger feels he can manage in practice. Um, and I do think as well, you know, Tiger is very much a, a sort of a vuncular figure now on the PGA Tour. I think this idea of you'll hear it in the next few days, Tiger doesn't enter a tournament unless he feels he can win. I don't think that's true. I don't think Tiger Woods deep down, if he plays the Masters next week, really feels he is a likely winner of the tournament. And if he can't win it, no doubt the person he'd like to win it would be JT. And I think all, he he's certainly at a stage now where all of the wisdom he's built up here over the years, he's going to impart that. If Tiger plays two rounds, misses the cut, and JT's in the mix on Saturday, the first person texting JT with the words of advice will be Tiger Woods. And, and that's very much what happened back in 2017 at Quail Hollow. So, um, yeah, look, as you can tell, I, I could argue uh, a very positive, flawless case for JT. I know... There are some negatives. There are some questions to answer. But um, having the, the Tiger Woods factor, I think, is a net positive, certainly. What an honor. What a case built for Justin Thomas next week of the Masters at Ben Coley Golf on Twitter. Please check out his player-by-player -player preview for next week. He puts a ton of effort into it and it is one of the best things that you will read all week. Thank you for joining us, Ben. We greatly appreciate it. Best of luck next week. Very kind of you. Thank you very much. And There you have it. The case for Justin Thomas, the guy that you are fond of, Andy. So, Andy, listen, we just crossed in terms of total content now three total hours over the last two nights <laughs> in three different live streams. We thought it was going to be two, but it ended up turning into three different Shout live out streams. <laughs> um, 16 guests. And I think we may have saved the best for last. You and I'm excited for this because you and I are kind of flipping the script here and we get to play the host role and bring on. <laughs> America's golf host, the content king himself. Welcome to the major report, Rick Gaiman. What's up, buddy? Uh, what's going on, guys? I am uh, obviously excited to be here, but you're right. I am a little uncomfortable on, on this side of things, to be honest with you. Com comfy pairing, though, for all of us, I would say, because you guys do your show together. Me and Rick talk twice a week now on the scramble, but we've never done it, the three of us. 
Yeah, this is it's definitely comfy, right? If this if this was the the tea sheet that came out on a Tuesday morning, I think we'd all be pretty happy with the results. Okay, so speaking, that's a great segue, and it also kind of talks a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about what Ben kind of ended on there. The T sheet did come out, right? Let's talk a little Justin Thomas because I think that he got an interesting draw. Not only is he with an amateur, not only is he with Hideki, who is I think has serious potential withdrawal concerns, but he's in the group right behind Tiger Woods, Rick. How do you think this may affect Justin Thomas this week, uh, potentially positively or negatively? I'm not sure it has all that much of an effect on him, quite honestly. I mean, he uh, he is around the Tiger ethos. That I mean, Ben was all over it. I mean, these guys are constantly talking to one another. I do not think the large crowds in the area are going to bother Justin Thomas. He plays with them uh, on a regular basis. And and let's be real. I mean, playing with Hideki Matsuyama, that's a circus in its own right, especially when you've got the guy who gave Japan this massive Masters victory, and now he's going back to defend. I I guess there's a, a comfortability with um, Hideki's an easy guy to play with. You know, he's not going to talk your ear off. He's not going to get in your way. And then, of course, you have uh, the top am, James Pyatt, in that group as well. I mean, I, I don't think there would be a bad pairing for Justin Thomas uh, really anywhere on the board. In terms of, like, the final decisions that you have to make, Rick, whether it be for your betting card or your DraftKings lineups, like – what do you, what more do you need to see tomorrow? Are you waiting on something with the weather? Do you want to hear more press conferences? Were there any press conferences today that you watched and were like, this is alarming to me. This stood out to me. Like, where do you stand on Tuesday night? Yeah, I'm pretty much done. I think obviously I'm going to keep an eye on the weather. I think there's a real risk, especially when pricing comes out as early as it does to talk yourself into circles. Right. And we're already seeing it with, uh, you know, ownership has is already shifting and will continue to shift just a little bit more. Like the first run of ownership for a, a lot of people, Scotty Scheffler was one of the most popular plays. Now that's been cut in half. You're just seeing kind of the trends and the ebbs and flows over a longer period of time. So I don't want to get caught in a situation where I'm I'm overthinking this. I I'm aware of the guys. Uh, that I'm warm on. Nothing is probably going to change for me. If there is something drastic that we see uh, kind of with the weather report, maybe I make a little bit of a move, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at on a Tuesday night. And I don't want to get too crazy with things. Let's play a little bit of the hypothetical game for a second on the weather. It looks like it's supposed to thunderstorm basically all day tomorrow. It rained today, canceled sometimes. Let's just say we get all that rain that's expected and we have ourselves a freshly newly lengthened Augusta national that is potentially soaking wet. Any guys that you think that is helpful for and any guys that you think that's hurtful for. Yeah. So I kind of think there's, there's two paths to this. And uh, I mean, Andy's been all over this all week and we've talked about this as well. It's going to say 7,500 yards on the scorecard. It's probably going to play much longer than that. And I, and I think distance is, is really going to be a, a big attribute this week. So you look at guys that carry the ball very far. Well, I mean, like Rory McIlroy's name comes to the top of the list. If you want to look for guys further down the board, uh, Cam Young, Cam Champ. Cam Champ's like been objectively horrible and I would never play him, but he's got a pretty good record around this place and you get to roll him out there as one of the longest drivers on the PGA Tour. Like that's much more exciting on a wet, soggy Augusta National. And that's that's what we're going to get. So I, I think that's one path. You could make a case and I, I'd, I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this. I'm not as excited about it, but you know, the longer it plays... Um, 
you could get yourself into some situations where wedge play kind of maybe the par fives, which aren't always going to be gettable in wetter conditions. Or if you don't hit a great drive, you're now having to lay up in some spots. I don't love like the little wedgy guys from like a hundred yards in as much as I just want pure bombers the longer this thing gets. Yeah. You know, I was actually kind of thinking about that too. And I, I was just talking to somebody that was there on the grounds and, and he said, it just, it got dumped on. And it continues to get dumped on. And and the early weather reports so far have been true, where we knew that there was going to be this 12-hour rainfall from about midday Tuesday to in the middle of the night on Wednesday evening. Um, We could get into a situation as we stand like on Tuesday night now where it plays really, really soft on like Thursday and Friday. And then you kind of start to see on Saturday, it starts to firm up just a little bit. We're going to get some wind. So I think that's going to help with it. And then by Sunday, it's just absolutely supposed to be pristine conditions. I don't know. What what do you think, Joe? Is it, a, is it throwing you off your game a lot? Like, are you waiting on more weather news or anything like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see what it does tomorrow. Um, I have some guys in mind, and, and you did a great job of it uh, earlier previewing as well in terms of guys that that kind of hit a, a higher ball flight and have carry distance really is what's important. So um, there's a lot of guys that hit it lower and we'll roll it out there, but I think the carry distance is definitely going to play an important factor this week if it does play as soft as as many are sort of forecasting at this point. Yeah, makes sense. Let's play a little game here, and I got one that I'm excited to talk about at the end, but this has been more of a sort of a DraftKings-focused show here on, on sort of Part B, so let's go kind of around the horn here. We'll start with you, our guest, Rick, and the guy that you're playing that's like sneaky, that nobody else is playing, that you're going to put in your lineups and be way overweight on in terms of field ownership. Uh, okay, so I, I think I've probably galaxy brained myself into Taylor Gooch at this point, um, yeah, which is I like that. Uh, objectively when pricing came out, it was clear he's a thousand dollars too expensive. I get it, uh, but what it's creating is a situation where his ownership is so low, and the fact that we are getting the Tiger. I don't know if it's new, the the confirmation that he's going to play. Like whatever ownership Tiger Woods sucks up in the $8,000 range comes away from guys like Taylor Gooch and like Sam Burns and like Sung JM, you know, that type of situation. And I like these guys that drive the ball further than they do accurate. Right. Like longer than they are accurate. I think I think Gucci's uh, biggest weakness is not as big of a deal here off the tee where he kind of sprays it a little bit. And I think his biggest strength is magnified a little bit. He never three putts. So we've got an awkward situation with the pricing and with the ownership. But I'm actually now almost willing to pay a thousand dollars more than I should for the completely low owned Taylor Gooch. Yeah, I love that one, too. I I talked about that a little bit on on my Sunday show where it's like, okay, he is the most mispriced player on the slate. But at the same time, if I was building a golf course for Taylor Grooch, bent grass where you can be a little bit wild off the tee, long iron play, like this would be it. The guy for me that I had no expectation of playing before the week started, but just running through ownership, like there's a chance that Sergio's like 4%, which I, is a little crazy to me, right? I that may force my hand a little bit to have some Sergio shares. Like it's it's not like Sergio's been playing bad golf lately. And I think for some reason everyone is just 
passing him up for Matthew Fitzpatrick, which I completely understand by the way, but he's kind of in this strange dead zone with like Tommy Fleetwood, who I also really like, and I'm going to play, but Sergio, I just, I haven't heard anyone talk about him yet. And I think that's because since winning the masters, he has not been good at major championships, but it's not like he's incapable clearly. So I think my hand has been forced a little bit. And as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, I may, I may add some, some 4% Sergio to my shares. Okay. Here's my guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the 10 K range. And we had two guys on earlier in the show, pretty much everyone you asked who's who they're fading in the 10 K range. Um, the majority of people are coming up with one name and it's Victor Hovland. And I'm going to make a case for him here yeah. of the guys over 10 K since November. There's six wins on that board. Three of them come from Scotty Scheffler in terms of professional tournaments. Three of them come from Vic Hovland. The other guys haven't won. So the incoming form is good. I also am still of the belief that um, since November, he's the best driver of the golf ball on the planet. Um, He's high. He carries it far. He's straight. He hits almost 65% of fairways, which is pretty wild from a guy who averages between like 307 and 310 off the tee. Where does he struggle? And where is everyone coming up with the case to fade Victor Hovland? Strokes gain around the green. Here's my position on it, and I'm not going to make the case that he's good there. I just don't think he's nearly as bad as everyone is making it out to be because where are you getting those stats? Are those three wins, all three of them, the Hero World Challenge, Mayakoba, the win over in Dubai, are any of those stats factored into any of these strokes gain around the green models? No. So you are not pulling anything from his any of his three victories in the last five months. Further, so I dug a little bit deeper into his strokes gain around the green numbers. Where is he losing them, right? It's not really chipping. Scrambling from the fringe, and these are PGA on PGATour.com in terms of the 2021-2022 season, um, basically the start at the Fortinet and on. He's 22 for 22, scrambling from the fringe. Number one on the PGA Tour, 100% scrambling from the fringe. Scrambling from the rough, he's 38 of 54, 70%. That ranks ninth on the PGA Tour. Where he's getting absolutely crushed is the bunkers. Yeah. Um, he's <laughs> losing. I have him 18 of 51. Rick's like I know. <laughs> yeah, 18 <laughs> of 51 from the bunker, which is 206, which is... I think maybe not enough of a sample size to just diminish him that poorly around the green. Keep in mind, he essentially won the hero world challenge out of chipping out of a bunker. He would have gained a ton of strokes there when he made Eagle. Um, I just think it's a little bit overblown. I went and looked at his European tour stats out of the bunker. Get this in 2022, he's 62%. He's 39th on the European tour in terms of sand states, all of 2021, all of his starts on the European tour. He was 62%. The average on the European tour was 52%. He was in the top 40 that year as well. So I just don't think he's quite as bad around the green as the stat models are indicating here. And he's been incredible on approach. He's been incredible off the tee, all that stuff. And you can potentially get him the only guy in this range, sub 10%. Um, I'm going to be all there on Victor Hovland. I think it gives you a ton of flexibility. There's so many good guys in the nines and the high eights. If you want to play them, um, it's tough to fit them in with Scheffler, Rom, JT. It's much easier when you go down to Vic. What do you guys think there? 
I, I think that even uh, even if you say, okay, he's like objectively the worst, like short, or I don't even want to say short game because he's a pretty good putter, like around the green player in this area, he still piles up top tens, right? Like Andy, that's the that's the floor when you hit the ball uh, from uh, the ball striking categories like Victor does is like you can be bad and still finish inside the top 10. Yeah, I think, you know, there's always that one player that scares you the most where entering the tournament, you're like, ah, I'm just like, there's this alternate universe where everything I thought pre-tournament is just completely wrong. And it kind of happened with Victor a little bit at the players too, because that was another tournament where I had this theory about how I didn't like him on Pete Dye courses. And of course he gains about a casual 14 strokes ball striking and dispels that theory. Yes. So I, t- I talked about how I'm taking this giant stand about long iron play and driving distance and carry distance and apex height and all that stuff. Hovland fits that mold to a T right. Hovland is perfect in that category. Um, My problem with short game, the retort that I would give is that I think that it's more difficult. Augusta national is more, you're going to have, you're going to be faced with a higher degree of difficulty of chip shots than he would at any other course on the PGA tour. And that's, that's just what scares me a little bit is that I don't even think that the degree of difficulty at chipping at any of those, I know it wasn't tough at the hero. I players is fine. Um, Arnold Palmer a little bit harder, but you even get that thick rough that is easier for most pros. will tell you than the tight wise that you get at Augusta chipping to undulating greens to greens that run 14 miles per hour on a stamp. That's my my only concern is that the degree of difficulty at Augusta is too far of a bridge for him to climb. With that being said, can he win the Masters losing strokes around the green? Yes. Yeah. He probably can. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So there's a path. There's a path for a lot of guys. All right. Let me ask you this, Rick. Mm-hmm. Say you have nothing on your betting card right now. The odds are what they are. You walk into the beautiful Circa Sportsbook where you and your lovely wife love to frequent. Um, you got $100 in your pocket. You can put it down on one player to win the Masters. Who's it going to be? Um, see, this is kind of like a, this is like a risk question, right? Like, like how much <laughs> risk am I willing to take on? Should I just bet it on Justin Thomas or should I bet it on the guy that I think is like objectively – the best for his number. I, I I was pretty intrigued with Joaquin Neiman for a while this week. I mean, the, the comp courses and kind of the high ceiling. And then I saw he was playing with Tiger and I absolutely hated it. I am not, uh, I'm going to take the value side. I'm going to, that's, that's the angle that I'm going to take here. I don't hate Gary Woodland, right? Yeah. Like, there is, and I'm not a Gary Woodland guy. So for me to be in this position where I look and say, okay, um, you know, there's 10 guys that, uh, what I would just define as like hit it far and are also gaining strokes over the last like 40 rounds. Gary Woodland's one of those guys averaging like three ten off the tee. It's in like the top 10 of guys that, uh, hit it at least three ten and gain like a half a stroke per round. The ball striking version of Gary Woodland's back. I worry that he doesn't have a great history around Augusta national, but I look at it odds, like depending on where you're looking like anywhere from 60 to 80 to one on a guy who's won a major championship. And we're seeing like a real life resurgence here. It's got my full attention. Let's put it that way. You know, I heard, I heard someone say somewhere earlier this week that the reason why Gary Woodland doesn't play well at Augusta is because he doesn't hit the ball high. And I went down this dark rabbit hole trying to figure out if that was true. And the conclusion that I came to is that, 
Gary Woodland can hit the ball plenty high if he needs to. He just, a lot of the time on the PGA Tour courses that he plays, he likes playing that low stinger off the tee, which really screws a lot of his apex stats and his driving distance stats and all that stuff. So I'm with you. I think Gary Woodland at like at 6,900, the course history will keep the ownership somewhat quelled, I would say. But the way he's playing right now, I don't think there's any reason why he can't contend. Yeah, I like that a lot as well. You are 100% spot on. I think that Gary Woodland can do things with a golf ball that are just magical that not many people can do. I mean, he can hit the fade. He can hit the draw. He has typically got that thing on a string, and he's hitting it exactly how he wants to. The guy for me, it's simple, guys. It's Brooks. I mean, I want to hear from you, Rick, because I, I got a text from you about a week ago <laughs> and, and a lot of people, actually, you aren't the only one. A ton of people texted me over the last month, Brooks is winning the Masters. Brooks is going to win the Masters. When you see him play well, it's Brooks is going to win the Masters. But I don't feel like anyone still holds that take quite as strong this week. He's still sitting there at 20 to 1. Um, do you still feel as strongly about it? Absolutely. So there's there's two things that are really hard to identify with Brooks because he plays a lot of his stuff close to the vest. One is like how interested he is in the golf tournament. And two <laughs> is how healthy is he? And they're incredibly difficult to quantify. Well, you've got a major championship. So we know he's ratcheted up for that, right? 16 top tens in, in 30 trips. And he probably should have won this uh, in 2019. And he's been close a, a handful of other times. And uh, I'll tell you what, guys, looks healthy. A healthy Brooks. Healthy Brooks has not played a lot of events in the last two years. Uh, I think we've got a healthy Brooks. The advanced metrics, his stat profile looks much more in line with versions that have contended at major championships last summer. Uh, just like put the puzzle pieces together and um, it feels like a Brooksy week. And and I'm not as high on Brooks as, as yeah, you guys are. But, but one thing that I, I wanted to ask you guys and say is, you know, I think he's going to be um, very pop. He's definitely a very popular bet in our community. And he's going to be a very popular DraftKings play in our community. But in terms of like the general consensus on Brooks, in terms of like, did you guys see him on the media schedule today? Like I didn't, I, I don't think I even heard him get an interview. It is bizarre that there's just there's just so many guys. So I, I yeah. think like outside of our our, our circles, uh, there's not a lot of necessarily Brooks interest this week, which might be keeping those uh, you know those casual ten, twenty, fifty dollar bets out of Brooks's column when when they go to sports books. So yeah, it is it is interesting. I think there's a pretty uh, big difference between the way we treat Brooks and the way everybody else is treating Brooks. That's interesting that you bring that up, Andy, because. If anybody pays attention to sort of what's blowing around in the media the week of a major and and likes to use that as a little bit of fuel, I think it's him. I can yeah. remember him at Shinnecock Hills um, in that media room. There was only three, four people there, and he was defending U.S. Open champion, feeling extremely slighted. And he said that that fired him up for the week. I can remember him using comments on live from the Masters from Brandel Chambly a few years ago and taking that and tweeting something out the night before and then ended up finishing second to Tiger that year. He may be able to utilize that as, as a little bit of fuel. And there's nobody better with a little gas in the tank on major weekends in Brooks. I just want to say one more thing now that we're down the interview rabbit hole. Yeah, You know who is another guy that actually in our community is definitely getting less run than Brooks, definitely going to be lower owned than Brooks that gave an interview today that I was like, oh man, this guy is really freaking focused. And that was Rom. 
who gave oh, God, yeah. he he gave this interview today and i was like oh man like not trying to play like armchair psychologist read between the lines body language doctor but he just looked locked in and focused and i thought about a quote that colin murakawa gave earlier this week where he was like, we know everything. We hear everything. We, I knew that if I won the Hero World Challenge, I would be world number one. Mm-hmm. I think Rom, I don't know what Rom has to do to overtake Scheffler as world number one, but I will say that I put a healthy wager on Rom over Scheffler in a matchup. So, so, so two things. Uh, they definitely hear everything. There have yes. been times where it's like, where it's like, oh, you said X, Y, and Z, like that got to that guy. And it's like, because somebody in the, on their team listens to whatever podcast you're on, like they hear everything. Um, the other thing about John Rom, I have never seen, uh, and, and like me being on the grounds for like peak Tiger Woods, like that, that didn't happen. I've never seen someone so focused like John Rob, right? Like inside the ropes with him at Torrey Pines, that got, yeah. he did not like, it was a thousand yard stare, like directly in front, never broke, never, nothing got to him. And you know, on Sunday, those crowds got huge over there. It's, it's really a sight to see. And he's like that the second he steps on the grounds. It's like, it's very impressive. Yeah, and it's interesting because this week, and he's been the king of DraftKings, the king of betting boards, the king of jock market for so long, as you know, Rick. Um, He was overtaken. Scheffler's the highest priced guy. He feels like he's being a little bit overlooked. He could come in like sub, like let's say he comes in 12, 14%. You have to like him in that type of of environment. I certainly do, yeah. I think if Rom is... Anywhere around 15%, I think it's a steal. Yeah, I, I uh, the only, the the situation I don't want to get into is that he's the second most expensive golfer and chalky. But right, if we could get him, yeah, sub fifteen, closer to twelve, it's like it, it, I mean, he's got four top tens in a row. And three weeks ago, we thought he was the best player on the planet by a wide margin. Like it's we're not that far off from that. Yeah. We aren't that far off from the start of this thing either, and we're going to see one Tiger Woods going for his sixth green jacket this week. Um, Rick, you, me, and Andy have been talking about this story and this storyline for a, a long time now. As we sit here Tuesday night, obviously he's playing. Um, I think more and more people are feeling better about how he looks, how he may feel physically. What's a realistic, let's say, projection in terms of where you think he's going to finish this week? If you could set an over under on finishing position, uh, forty nine and a half is like where I'm coming in at right now. I'm I'm quite excited for Tiger. Right, the, even I'm I'm pretty sure he's been hoodwinking all of us on how good he's been playing for a long time. I mean, back in December, he was at the tour average ball speed. That was in December. Now that was 171 miles an hour. We know today he was at 174. When you get in competition, it's probably 175, 176. So he is like above average in terms of ball speed. He's got all the short game shots. We know that. Um, I imagine the most likely scenario is plays well, or well enough round one plays well enough round two makes the cut. I think there are probably a couple of sloppy bogeys and doubles in there just because he's got to knock off the competitive rust and there's going to be things that he's going to have to do. And then I do wonder as the weekend comes on and he's into day two and three in a row and four in a row, if, if it starts to get a lot more difficult for him to get warmed up and cooled down and all that stuff. So um, I've bet real American dollars, Joe, as you know, on, on him making the cut, I believe that is a, a reasonably likely outcome. And then I think 
um, he probably fades on the weekend instead of charging on the weekend. You know, for me, like, and I was, I was cooler on him than both of you guys heading in. I think I've started to warm up a little bit more just as I'm just intrigued by him as a DraftKings play. Like I'm not quite there yet, but I just, I, I can't, put my finger on what the ownership is going to be yet. We just talked to a bunch of really smart DFS guys and they were talking about how they think it's going to be single digits. And I, I must be way off on that. Cause I, I thought it would be something completely else. I'm kind of like warming up to him in, in terms of finding a good market to play him. I think the only thing that's holding me back is I wish he was on the other side of the draw because I just, I think Friday is supposed to be the windiest and I, I Friday afternoon. And I just, I wish that he was, I wish he was getting out early on Thursday morning because Thursday morning is going to be, or, or sorry, I wish yeah. he was not having to get out Friday afternoon when it's firmer and super windy. So I, I thought about that, but the, the, like, like this is the split he wants, right? Like the Thursday yeah, yeah, afternoon thinking. for the body, like this is the split that he, that he wants. He might run into the worst of it, but I'm trying to figure out uh, like what's more important here. Trying to get tiger, like tiger going Thursday afternoon, Friday morning is devastating for the back. And he's going to have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Anyway, it's, it's like a good a point. Nightmare. Yeah. I don't know how to quantify one versus the other. No, that's a that's a really good point. I didn't even I didn't even think about that angle. I was thinking external, not internal. Yeah, yeah. I think as soon as he showed up and committed to play, um, there was no way that whoever makes the tee times at Augusta was going to give him a late early. Yeah, that um, was the, that was the market you wanted. That was the lock of the century that he was yes. going a.m. p.m. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about let's sort of shift gears here a little bit. Um, what about this narrative that? Uh, course history matters so much and there's a couple of really solid debutants in the field you mentioned one in taylor gooch how much stock do you put in that it feels to me rick like someone's ready to break the mold we've seen it close the last couple of years um who would be the most likely candidate in this instance to potentially break that mold and, and since fuzzy zeller be the first debutant to win yeah so i think there's um there, there's two things at play here course course history uh, is definitely a real thing. You can back it up with with data. It's a very very sticky course because we've got we play the same time every year. It's the same course, and you generally get a small field with the same guys in it. So that that's part one. Uh, the whole like nobody's won since Fuzzy Zeller in their debut. Like like it's kind of random, right? I mean, Will Zalatoris almost did it. Uh, Jordan Spieth almost did it. Sung J M almost did it. Guys play well in their debut, even if they don't win. So I, I think that that is a little bit overblown. It's not like these guys are completely lost and forget how to play golf when they get there. Uh, I think the most likely candidate is probably Sam Burns, right? He's the, he's the modern golfer with three wins in his last 12 months. If you go further down the board for a week like this, Cam Young, super interesting, Andy, he bombs it. And yeah. Played well at Riviera. We like that as a comp. Like, like if you want a little bit of value for a, a debutant, like, how about Cam Young? Yeah, I like that as well. You know, the, the last thing that I'll say on this too is, we were talking to Feinberg about this a little bit earlier, but I just think that this crop of young players needs to be analyzed a little bit differently than previous crops of young players that we've seen. I just think with 
the technology, with all the advances in coaching and fitness, I just think that you have guys like Sam Burns, as you talk about Rick all the time, where it's like, this is the modern golfer. And I think the modern golfer, A, is very suited for, very well suited for Augusta National. And B, probably is going to have an easier time figuring these places out just based on talent alone. Yeah, these guys have teams now, right? They've got teams of people to help them get acclimated to every course on the PGA Tour. We used to say it's like the 10th time you get to Augusta National, you start to figure it out. That number is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. These guys are too good. Technology is too good. And all the information is there for them. These guys are good. What an honor for you to join us, Rick. We really appreciate you stopping in, man. A ton of fun. Tell everyone, uh, plug your stuff. Tell everyone where they can find all of your tremendous golf content this week for the Masters. Uh, yeah, ideally. So if you like data and uh, visuals, rickrungood.com is, is the place to be. And then, of course, uh, my YouTube channel is uh, Rick Run Good, And uh, Twitter is, you guessed it, Rick Run Good. That's where you can find all this stuff. <laughs> my man, I'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks, See guys. you, Rick. Thanks, Rick Run. Andy, uh, that's about all we got, man. Nearing the three and a half hour mark in terms of total content. If you are still with us, um, thank you so much. Thank you to you, Andy. Like, I know I sort of uh, signed you on to this gig that pays you uh, as zero dollars <laughs> for four hours uh, dedicated of your time. So um, thank you for having a little bit of faith in me on this. And I couldn't think of a better person to sort of sit alongside and, and talk golf for the Masters Week. Anytime you need me, man, dude, it was an easy decision. It was a blast. Um, you put together an incredible guest list that I could spend hours talking to. So I hope people enjoyed it. It will be um, on our audio feeds again, probably by the morning. And um, yeah, check those out. If you share the show, all that good stuff. I, I thought it was a blast, man. Yeah, 17 guests, um, the two of us hosting the entire time. It was a lot of work. Thank you all. The way that you can sort of pay us and reward us for this is just a simple thumbs up, a like, share it with a friend. Um, it was totally a blast to do this. So uh, thank you all for checking out the major report. Like Andy said, what we're going to do is since we had a little bit of an interruption, we're going to splice together the two audio feeds. We'll make sure that that's posted not only to the Inside Golf Podcast audio feed that's available on iTunes and Spotify, but the preferred lines as well. Uh, like and subscribe to those shows at Andy Lack. It is ADP Lack, Lack. Sports on Twitter, right? You got it, man. Yep. That's the that's the handle to check him out. Mine is at Tour Picks. I am Joe Idoni. That is Andy Lack. We are signing off uh, two days later from the major report. Best of luck to everyone this week and enjoy the Masters.